Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray this morning you would show us your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never seen one of these, this is what we call a tract. And it is a little pamphlet that is a presentation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would you do if you received a tract from Saddam Hussein uh, uh, 20 years ago, right? Of course. But what would you do if you received a tract from Saddam Hussein? This is, this is a question that Pastor Brian Chappell asked his congregation in preaching on Daniel chapter 4. And I think it's an appropriate question for us. What would you do if you received a tract from Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden or Kim Jong-un? What would you do? I asked my community group that question, and there is a pause because it is something that is kind of unbelievable, isn't it? Uh, some people in my group said that they would give him the track back and say, hey, you should read this. Some said they would laugh. Others just said, I have no idea what I would do. This is a great question in looking at Daniel chapter 4 because we have someone that is very much like Saddam Hussein who is writing a gospel track to the entire world. You see, just like Saddam Hussein, King Nebuchadnezzar was an Arab ruler who was extremely non-Christian. If you remember from our previous studies in 606 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah and he took from Judah out of the temple in Jerusalem. He took the treasures out of the temple in Jerusalem and he brought them to the temple of his own gods. And this was a way in that day of saying, look, my gods are bigger than your God, right? Your God was unable to protect you. We were able to take his riches and put it in the temple of our own gods. Our gods are bigger than your God. Nebuchadnezzar also brought back some of the leaders of Judah, including Daniel and his three friends. And through Daniel and his three friends, Nebuchadnezzar was shown time and time again that even though it appears to the entire world that the Lord God has been defeated, even though it appears to the entire world that the Lord God is weak and helpless and silent, in actuality, the Lord is the one and only true God. He is the most high God who controls all things in all peoples, including King Nebuchadnezzar. He proves this throughout the book of Daniel. Maybe you remember in chapter one, Daniel and his friends were 10 times smarter than the wise men of Babylon, proving the greatness of the Lord God. In Daniel chapter two, it was only Daniel by the power of God that could tell the king his dream and then translate the dream. And the translation of the dream was that there was a rock coming, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would crush all other kingdoms and establish an eternal kingdom. And then of course, last week in Daniel chapter three, as God walked in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and delivered them from that, time and time again, the Lord is showing that he reigns. It is so undeniable that King Nebuchadnezzar says things like, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. He says things like, any people, nation, or language that speak anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. King Nebuchadnezzar, time and again, 
has made these powerful statements, but what we learn time and again is that it is only lip service. Nebuchadnezzar revered the Lord. He was in awe of the Lord. But until Daniel chapter 4, he never had surrendered himself to the Lord. Daniel 4, 13 years since his last dream. And as we read here, God will again disrupt King Nebuchadnezzar. And he does this through another dream. And the result of this dream and what happens after it ends up being a tract to the entire world of the greatness of our God. Now, before we dig in, I need to explain to you a little bit that Daniel 4 follows a method of storytelling that movie makers call reverse chronology. In other words, the, it starts with the conclusion of the story, and then, it, and then it fades back to show us how we got to that conclusion. So, for example, I just watched Remember the Titans not too long ago, and it starts in a graveyard with a racially diverse group of men singing some hymns. And you don't know why they're there, but then it flashes back, and the rest of the movie shows you how they got to that point and why it was so significant. Or, if you think of Jack and the Beanstalk, maybe the story would start with Jack chopping down the beanstalk, and then it would flash back, and you would see Jack going to the market to purchase the magical beans. That's it's called a reverse chronology. And that's what we see here in this passage. It is a reverse chronology. And so verses one through three kind of tell us the conclusion of what we are going to read from verse four to the end of the chapter. And so I want to start by looking at the conclusion of this story, which is at the beginning of Daniel chapter four. Does that make sense? A little bit? Okay, here we go. Daniel four, verse one. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. King Nebuchadnezzar is arguably one of the five most powerful men in the history of the world. At that time, he was called the king of kings because he was king over all other earthly kings. He was the most high human king throughout the entire world. He was a ruler of a kingdom that was greater than every other kingdom that existed. And yet here in these first three verses, what does King Nebuchadnezzar say? He says, the Lord God is most high, not me. He says, the Lord God has a kingdom that will last forever, not mine. He says, the Lord God exercises his dominion throughout all generations, which I cannot do. This is an amazing transformation of maybe one of the people that we would least think in the history of the world to become a follower of the Lord God. And so I want to ask the question for, for your benefit and for mine, what leads a man to such a conclusion about the Lord God? What leads a man to such joy in the greatness of God? What leads a man to proclaim the glory of the Lord God to the entire world, even at the jeopardy of his own reputation? Well, as we'll read today, the only thing that can lead a man like King Nebuchadnezzar or any other man for that matter to these conclusions is the work of a gracious and powerful God convincing us that he is the most high 
God. Now, how does God do this? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. And as we look at this passage, I just want to encourage you, if you're okay writing in your Bible, to underline a phrase, most high God. It already appeared there in verse 2. You can do that. But that's an important phrase throughout this chapter. And so if you want to either physically or mentally underline that, it would be good. So first we see God changes and transforms us because God alarms us out of our comfort. Look at verse 4 with me. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Then IV in verse 4 says that King Nebuchadnezzar was content and he was very successful. I mean, really, this is the picture of the American dream before America ever existed, isn't it? Isn't this what we pray for, to be content, to be successful, to be at ease, to be prosperous, to be comfortable? Nebuchadnezzar had all these things, and yet he was missing the most important thing, and so God alarmed him out of his comfort. And he does this through visions and dreams. Verse 6, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named or renamed Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream. Let's pause here for a second. Why do you think it is that King Nebuchadnezzar went to the wise men of Babylon before he went to Daniel? I mean, so far, Daniel has a perfect record. <laughs> Daniel's the only one who could tell the king his dream and translate his dream in Daniel chapter 2. And so why does King Nebuchadnezzar go to the rest before he goes to the best? Well, it's because, again, he was trying to build his life and his kingdom apart from the Lord God. And he knew that the holy gods, whatever they were, dwelt inside of Daniel. And so he's trying to do it his way with his gods and with his people. But again, it proved to be unfruitful. And so at last, Daniel comes to tell him the dream. Verse 8, again, let's read it. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heaven lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. So here, what do we learn about this tree? We learn that this tree is humongous. 
that it is mighty, that it is stunningly beautiful, that it is a provision of food and shelter for all living creatures, including mankind. This tree was, in a word, glorious. Verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. This, my friends, is alarming. Verse 15. But leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him, not it, but let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. And now we read the purpose of this alarming dream. Pay close attention to verse 17. The sentence is by the decree of the watcher. The decision by the word of the holy ones. For what purpose? For what end? To the end that the living may know, get ready to underline, that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over, sets over it the lowliest of men. Let me read verse 17 again because it is so important to understanding the purpose of this dream, but also the whole book of Daniel. The sentence is by the decree of the watcher, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Verse 18. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able. I love his confidence in Daniel and Daniel's gods. But you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts, what's the word? Alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream of the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar, Daniel, answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your Enemies. In other words, this dream is so alarming. It is so catastrophic. It is so disturbing. May this dream not be fulfilled upon you, but may it be fulfilled upon those who hate you, upon your enemies. You know, as we said earlier, there were several times in which God had sought to get King Nebuchadnezzar's attention through dream interpretations, through, 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 uh, through, the, through the fiery furnace and things like that. And while King Nebuchadnezzar could never deny the glory of the Lord God in those situations, his heart was far from surrendering to the Lord as his God. And so through this dream, God, by his grace, in the midst of King Nebuchadnezzar's American dream comfort, alarms him by showing him his fragility, his powerlessness, and even his future judgment. 
You know, God is still alarming people today to try to shake them out of the slumber of comfort. Maybe he does this through dreams, maybe through world events, maybe through personal experiences. I can't remember if I shared this with you, but a few years ago, uh, my family bought kayaks, two double kayaks that we could go kayaking. And then one day, I decided I wanted to take my daughter, Carissa, for a kayak ride out on Green Bay. And so we put in right by Lambeau Cottage there uh, by UWGB, and we started to paddle. And the plan uh, was for a three-hour tour, ironically. But we were planning on just going out and kind of paddling around the area and coming back. And the bay was so calm when we started. But as we started to go along, the wind picked up and the waves picked up and it was pushing towards a northwest direction. And as the waves started to build, they started to, to curl into white cap. And I tried to turn around. It was just completely impossible to do. And I think, do we have a picture? Do you go back one picture? Is there another picture in there? Is that it? I think I had a picture. There, there's the kayak, okay? And so we were in this kayak. Uh, my daughter, Carissa, and me, and you'll see this ridge around here, and the waves were coming right up along this ridge and just pushing us northwest. And the scariest part is we didn't have a spray skirt, which is that thing that keeps the water out of the kayak, and so if the waves start coming into the kayak, the kayak is going to sink. This is very alarming. At one point, my daughter said to me, she said, Daddy, I'm nervous, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm, I'm freaking out. I didn't say, I'm like, it's gonna be okay, right? Like, just keep paddling, let's go. And so what we ended up doing, go ahead and go to the next slide, is we ended up going from here, which we were just supposed to go around this area, and we ended up having to paddle all the way over to, is this Longtail Island, is that what it's called? Yeah, okay. And we crash landed here, and it was scary, um, but we finally crash landed there, and then you'll see the next picture. We had to walk additional three miles, and this is us walking from the tip three miles back to the car where Trish was coming to pick us up. But this was an alarming incident. Matter of fact, I came back, and I said to Angie and to Jonathan, I'm like, yeah, I almost died today. I mean, it was scary. It was really scary. God uses situations in this situations like this in our life to alarm us, to startle us, to shake us out of our comfort and to, and to teach us something. God sends alarming experiences like crazy dreams, like kayaking with Pastor Dan. He alarms us with things like car accidents and deaths of a loved one, hurricanes, tornadoes, the loss of a job or or even scary sicknesses. I'm sure we could take turns coming up here and, and sharing how God has shaken us and alarmed us. And the question is this, has God gotten your attention? Or are you just shaking it off and continuing on with life as normal? You know, King Nebuchadnezzar did not respond to the dream he had 13 years before, he just continued on with life as normal. And as we'll see later here in verse 29, he does the same thing with this dream. A year passes and King Nebuchadnezzar does nothing in response to this alarming dream. You see, God, by his grace, alarms us to shake us out of our security and our prosperity and our comfort and our slumber in order to call us to himself. And so God alarms us out of our comfort. Secondly, God calls us to repentance. Remember, this is Daniel interpreting the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. Verse 20, Daniel says, The tree you saw which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. 
whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the most high, there's that word again if you want to underline it, that phrase. Which has come upon my Lord the King. That you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you. And for what reason? Get ready to underline Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confined, confirmed for you from, this, from the time that you know that heaven rules. In other words, in summary, God is saying that I am going to do this to you until you understand that God is God and you are not. And then hear this call to repentance, verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. You know, throughout the scriptures, God is consistently showing concern for the same two things. And we see it here in this passage. Number one, for the glory of God. That we would acknowledge that God is God and that we are not. But number two, the rights of the marginalized and the oppressed. That we would love others like God has loved us. To put it simply, God is calling King Nebuchadnezzar to love God and love others. This is consistent with what Jesus taught us. If you remember, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. He says, in the second like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands, Jesus says, depends all the law and the prophets. Love God and love others is what Jesus calls us to do. It's what God is calling King Nebuchadnezzar to do. It's what he's calling the whole world to do. And this is the exact same thing that God was calling his shepherds of Israel to repent of. You see, it was the shepherds of Israel that had chased after other gods and the Lord called them back to worship him as the one true God. It was the shepherds of Israel, the kings and the priests that were exploiting the poor for their own purposes. And so for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, the Lord God called them to repent and to return to him. And now here he is calling out to King Nebuchadnezzar to repent and to come back to him. God gave hundreds of years of warning to the kings of Israel 
And as we'll see, he gives an entire year for King Nebuchadnezzar to respond. You know, God continually is patient, calling us to repentance. And may I just say that God is far more patient than me. You know, when it's bedtime at our house, um, I will say, all right, kids, time to go upstairs, brush your teeth, go potty, get your pajamas on, and get to bed. And amazingly, at that time, and I may have shared this with you, at, at certain times, it's not every night, but, but there are certain times where magically their legs no longer work. Um, they have received a temporary paralysis where they cannot get up and go to bed. Amazingly, this never happens when it's time for ice cream. But when it's time to go to bed, for some reason, they can no longer work. And so I will warn them. I will say, get upstairs or else you're going to time out or you're going to get a spanking or something like that. And so I'll start counting. I'll say, by the time I count to 10, you better get upstairs. And so I'll say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine and a half, nine and three quarters, 10. And then usually I'll chase them up the stairs. You know, God is not only patient with the shepherds of Israel, God is also patient with King Nebuchadnezzar. God does not give King Nebuchadnezzar 10 seconds to repent and do what is right. He gives him an entire year. And in verse 29, we'll see he still does not come to repentance on his own. And during that time, King Nebuchadnezzar makes a huge mistake. The same mistake that the kings of Israel made. The same mistake that we often make. King Nebuchadnezzar mistook God's patience for God's permission. Do you hear that? He mistook God's patience for God's permission. God called King Nebuchadnezzar to repent and to trust in the Lord as the most high God. And because the Lord did not bring his discipline of judgment on Nebuchadnezzar right away, King Nebuchadnezzar just assumed everything he was doing was okay and he went back to life as normal. In 2 Peter 3, 9, we read something very similar to this. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, do not mistake God's patience for God's permission. God calls you to repentance. He calls you to acknowledge your sin and to seek to put it to death. And so let me ask you, is there ongoing sin on your, in your life that you have not fought against to put to death because God has not yet struck you with a bolt of lightning? Do not mistake God's patience for his permission. God is patient, desiring that you humble yourself, repent and surrender your heart, your life, and your actions to him. Now here's the thing. God loves his kids so much that even when we are not willing to humble ourselves, to repent of our sin, to surrender our life to him, God does not give up on us. If we will not humble ourselves before God, God will humble us for us. And this is exactly what we see here in King Nebuchadnezzar. God humbles us to kill our pride. Our pride is the very thing that keeps us from God. It was pride that made Adam and Eve say, we know better than God. It was pride that was keeping King Nebuchadnezzar from acknowledging the Lord as the most high God. And so God humbles us to kill our pride. Verse 28, 
All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? The arrogance of King Nebuchadnezzar is so overwhelming and it is so disgusting if it did not hit so close to home. Don't we do the same thing when we look at our GPA or our career or our, our, our financial portfolio? Don't we say, look at what I have done. Don't we say, hey, give credit where credit is due. Bow down to me. I, I, I mean, we probably never say that out loud, right? But don't, don't we want to say that in our hearts? Aren't we saying, hey, look, look at how great I am. Acknowledge me, appreciate me. Bow down to me. Isn't that what we want to say in our hearts often? And yet what we forget is, even though it was through wisdom that maybe we've achieved some of those things, who gave you that wisdom? God gave you that wisdom. Maybe it was through, through drive and hard work that, that helped you earn some of those accomplishments. But who gave you that drive? Who gave you that ability to work hard? It is God who gave that to you. But again, the good news is that God does not give up on arrogant, proud men and women, which is great news because that means God would give up on all of us. God does whatever it takes to humble us to win our hearts. Verse 30, and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of times shall pass over you. Again, why will this happen? Get ready to underline until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and the most powerful man in the entire world ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers. And his nails were like bird's claws. Nebuchadnezzar was struck with a mental illness which today is called lycanthropy. Or some of us would know it as werewolf syndrome. It's a rare psychiatric syndrome that involves a delusion that the affected person can transform into, has been transformed into, or is an animal. As a matter of fact, there's, uh, there, there, in the news a few months ago, there was a Florida man, of course, a Florida man. It seems like it's always a Florida man. But there was a Florida man who attacked uh, a couple and actually killed them. And he did things to them that I can't even tell you about because it would give you nightmares. But it's because he was diagnosed with this very syndrome of lycanthropy. He thought that he was a dog. He thought that he was an animal. This is a horrific mental illness. But what God knows is what is worse than this illness it's thinking yourself to be God. 
is exploiting the weak. It's not submitting to the Lord as your God. You see, the reason why God humbled King Nebuchadnezzar in this way is because King Nebuchadnezzar thought himself to be a God. And since he made himself more than a man, God would put him in a position where he would be less than a man. Sin does this to us. It humbles us. It turns us into animals. It makes us follow our, our, what people will call our, our primal instincts. And yet this is what King Nebuchadnezzar is praising God for. Verse 37, we read, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Romans 1 talks about how our slavery to sin is animalistic. How, how, we are, how we are reduced to slavery when we follow sin and deny God. Romans 1 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Sounds like King Nebuchadnezzar. But became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Friends, have you rejected God so severely and so long that you have been given over to animalistic, dishonorable, enslaving, self-destructive actions? Have you finally come to the end of yourself and grasped your fragility and your powerlessness to overcome these things? Have you finally grasped that you are not God? If so, then praise God. This is a gift of his grace that is calling us to turn to God, to surrender to God, and to be transformed by his grace. And that's the final thing we see here in this passage. Verse 34, God transforms us by his grace for his glory and for our joy. Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. Get ready to underline again. And I blessed the most high. And praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Do you notice here what it was that transformed King Nebuchadnezzar's life? Do you notice here what it was that, that made King Nebuchadnezzar have his reason returned to him? That made him bless the Most High to praise and honor to God? Verse 34, it tells us, it says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar, for the first time in his heart, looked up to God and not down at God. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heavens and earth. For the first time, King Nebuchadnezzar understood that the Lord was God of Babylon and he was not. For the first time, King Nebuchadnezzar grasped 
While he might be the greatest human king in the world, he is only clay in the potter's hands. And this leads King Nebuchadnezzar to praise because God has been gracious to him. Verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. It sounds like Nebuchadnezzar is reverting back, but wait for verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble Previous to his conversion, King Nebuchadnezzar saw all worldly riches and success as an opportunity to praise and extol his own name. But now he sees it as an opportunity to praise and extol the name of God, the King of heaven. And who is this King of heaven? It is the Lord Jesus Christ who came from up on high down to this world to take on our fragility, to take on our sin, to take on our arrogance, to take on our pride, and to go to the cross and pay for it in full. And so if you are like King Nebuchadnezzar, if you are your own God, look up to heaven because that is where your God comes from. This is where salvation comes from. It is from heaven that Jesus has come to rescue us and to save us and to transform us, which leads us to proclaim his greatness. And that's what we see here at the beginning of Daniel chapter four. Again, the conclusion, which is at the beginning. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Christians, we have a God that is so wonderful, so merciful, so great, that when he saves us and transforms us, we cannot help but tell the world about it. Let me end with this. Uh, Kanye West is a famous rapper, singer, and songwriter. Um, He's he has over 21 Grammys, and he has been listed in Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people on two different occasions. Famously, in 2009, uh, at, the two, at the MTV Music Awards, uh, Taylor Swift won an award. I think it was for Best Female Video or something like that. And he charged the stage and went up there and took it from her and declared that it belonged to Beyonce because she had a better video than Taylor Swift. I admit I've never listened to Kanye West that I know of. I mean, maybe it's been on the radio and I've heard it. But, but looking at his titles and looking at the lyrics, um, it's not something I would want to listen to or that I would want my kids to listen to. Well, about two weeks ago, I saw an article about how Kanye West was holding some sort of unpublicized worship service at his home. Reading through the article, it had a link to an interview with his wife, Kim Kardashian, on The View, which I also don't watch The View. I promise you, I don't watch The View. (laughs) But they're interviewing her on The View, and they're asking questions about this Sunday service that Kanye West is holding, and, and what religion is it, and things like that. And Kim Kardashian says this. She says, Kanye has had an amazing evolution of being born again and being saved by Christ. These are her words, not mine. 
It is a Christian service, a musical ministry. They talk about Jesus and God. It is for God and it is a Christian service. Last month, Kanye testified before New Birth Missionary Baptist Church. He prayed this. He says, you sent your son to die for us and all you ask is for radical obedience to you. You're not asking for us to do the least. How are we gonna do the least when he did the most? Thank you for saving me, for replenishing me, for delivering me. Because the devil had me chasing a gold statue, had me chasing cars, had me chasing numbers. The power of God cannot be calculated by a number, a first week sale, by a bank account, by how many cars you drive, by how big your house is, how many acres you got. And then he goes on to say, let's not be concerned with the opinions of men at all, only the opinions of God. I know we say this is the culture or that is the culture, To be radically in service to Christ is the only culture that I want to know about. I've seen him work miracles in my life. You know, the devil presents so many flashy, shiny objects. I've seen everything that the devil could have shown you via TV, videos, car dealerships, jewelry, houses, and I'll tell you, and he sung, nothing beats God in a sound mind. Sounds a lot like King Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't it? Any day, Kanye West, who once released a CD entitled My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, is set to release a CD entitled Jesus is Lord. Because he wants to tell the world the greatness of his God, the most high God who alarms us out of our comfort, who calls us to repentance, who humbles us for our good, and who transforms us by his saving grace. You know, what does King Nebuchadnezzar and Kanye West teach us about God? They teach us that there is no one greater than our God. They teach us that there is no one too big or too proud to go beyond the reach of God's alarming, humbling, transforming grace. Not King Nebuchadnezzar, not Kanye West, not me, and not you. Let's pray. Lord God, you are such a great and wonderful and big God. We confess that we, like King Nebuchadnezzar and the kings of Israel, often forget that. You you often seem silent to us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for forgetting who is God of our life, who is God of our world. God, help us to submit to you every part of our life recognizing that you are our king, that we are not our own king, but that you are our king. And help us to rest in your unending grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread.